Good day, and welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Jennifer and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop. This is a collaborative effort, a partnership between the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, or BCAN, and Cancer Care. And um, the program is titled For Caregivers, Practical Tips to Cope with a Loved One's Bladder Cancer. And this is part two of Life with Bladder Cancer. And today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, CGEN, and Eurogen Pharma. And I really would like to thank them for their support of this program. Now, before I introduce our first speaker, um, I do want to say a few words about just who's on the call today. We have over 203 participants on the call. You come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Bangladesh, Canada, India, and the United Kingdom. So it's really a bit of a global call. And we're delighted that you've all chosen to spend this hour with us. And our first speaker is Dr. Anna Adriazola. And Dr. Adriazola is an advanced practice registered nurse, genitourinary medical oncology, University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Adrizoli will be addressing update on bladder cancer in the context of COVID-19 experience, the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team, helping to manage your loved one's treatment, including adherence and follow-up care, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Audrey Zola. Hi, um, good afternoon, everyone. I'm very happy to be here to discuss uh, bladder cancer in the era of COVID. Um, <clears throat> in the early days of the pandemic, uh, bladder cancer treatment almost came to a, a, a standstill um, since one of the first lines of treatment is chemotherapy, um, which can greatly reduce your ability to fight off infections. As you can imagine, it was a very trying time trying to balance the need for treatment, the immunosuppression it can cause, the potential detrimental effects of contracting COVID during this time versus delaying treatment and surgery altogether. Um, luckily today, we know much more about COVID. We have vaccines at our disposal and treatment options at our disposal. Um, we do always recommend that if someone is willing and able to receive of the vaccination series to do so prior to starting treatment or if urgent chemo start is required, then about four weeks after chemo is complete to allow your system to be able to um, mount uh, an immune response to the vaccines always discussing timing of these uh, vaccinations with your uh, specific treatment team. Uh, bladder cancer is a spectrum <clears throat> from superficial cancer to metastatic cancer, each level requiring different forms of treatment and sometimes a combination of such. Uh, superficial cancers usually need um, local therapies. By that, I mean um, medications instilled directly into the bladder, like BCG, uh, under the care of a urologist. Uh, more invasive bladder cancers, such as muscle invasion or lymph node involvement or metastatic disease, require systemic therapies. 
meaning medications that get absorbed into the bloodstream and, and go everywhere in your body, generally under the care of medical oncologists. Um, three general categories of bladder cancer treatments, um, that's your traditional chemotherapy, um, number two, your immunotherapies, and number three is your targeted therapies. There's actually uh, two new FDA-approved bladder cancer treatments in 2021 that fell into the category of targeted therapies. Um, these are called antibody drug conjugates, um, specifically enfortumab and sasituzumab. Um, <clears throat> caregivers are, are often our eyes and ears and play an extremely key role in getting a loved one through treatment and really fully understanding everything that we're throwing at them um, every time we see them, um, especially in the beginning when things feel overwhelming. Um, you have a new cancer diagnosis. You're getting these uh, drug names thrown at you that are so difficult to pronounce, even for me, and I do this day in and day out. Um, the timing of chemotherapy, the schedules of chemotherapy, Therapy, side effects of treatment, the frequency of such appointments, um, having to take time off of work, uh, deciding whether to use FMLA or um, uh, disability, um, and just really the uncertainty of it all. Um, I've had, I've often had uh, patients um, just kind of pull me aside and, and have a heart-to-heart -heart on how, how they feel that they're, they become a burden to their families and their friends, um, which is generally not the case. It's just there's so much going on at that time. The reassurance on part of the caregiver to the patients um, and their loved one is very important. You know, you guys, uh, the healthcare team, the caregivers, the patients, they're in all of this together. Um, nowadays, you can have um, in-person visits or virtual visits, um, which really kind of flourished uh, with uh, the pandemic. Virtual visits generally come in the form of telephone calls or video visits. Um, I will say at the very beginning, virtual visits um, really did feel a bit odd, you know, not having um, the patient and the caregiver in front of you um, to really suss out the questions and, and expand um, and elaborate on certain things. It is something that we all had to get used to and we're much better at it now. Um, as uh, in with in-person visits, uh, virtual visits, communication is really key. Um, being able to have a list of questions or a diary of side effects, um, an idea of what next steps are, um, is always helpful. Um, video visits are generally conducted via whatever EHR system the office has in place, generally utilizing platforms such as Zoom or Microsoft Teams um, via a smartphone or a laptop or a desktop with a webcam. Um, there are usually instructions set out prior to the virtual appointment, um, you know, ways to test connectivity. Is, does the microphone work? Do you have an adequate internet connection? Is the video working? Setting up these um, uh, virtual visits um, can be very overwhelming, especially at first, or especially if you don't feel like you're very tech savvy. Um, but don't panic. If all else fails, if a video doesn't work, we will give you a, a phone call and we will have a visit that way. I do have many of my patients that do call me and ask me uh, to have a, a telephone call versus a video visit. And in, in many cases, in many uh, circumstances, that is, that is just fine. Um, Caregivers often assist um, their loved ones by preparing for each appointment. Um, I like to say you should have like a goal for each visit. It can be a very simple goal like, you know, hey, um, we're here to get cleared for treatment. I feel great. Uh, you know, my labs look okay. I feel okay. Let's get the next cycle going. Um, or it could be, hey, we need to improve our symptom management, my diarrhea, my nausea. 
um, I fatigue, I'm not well managed, I'm not doing well, um, how, can, how can we fix this? Um, or seeking clarification on the overall plan or the upcoming schedule, which can be very confusing. Asking us uh, the same question multiple times does not bother us at all. We do this day in and day out. Um, it is second nature to me of what a chemo cycle is, but this is often very new information, so we really truly do not mind if we get asked about the overall plan or the schedule over and over again. Um, it is better to understand than to be confused on the line. Um, a few things that I believe are very important to really seek clarification and understand as you're starting, um, you know, bladder cancer therapy. Um, number one is you, you should know uh, the intent of the treatment. Are we talking about a curative intent? And this in, uh, lies with a localized disease, meaning the bladder cancer is confined to the bladder and the end goal is to get rid of the bladder cancer. Or are we looking to uh, prolong your life uh, by the uh, order of months, years, or whatnot? Then this category generally falls for those that have met metastasized or have metastatic disease, stage four uh, bladder cancer. Um, and number two, what kind of treatment will the patient be receiving and for how long? Um, chemotherapy generally has an end date. Um, it, it can be given every two weeks, every three weeks. There's a very specific schedule. Um, you would want to ask how often you're getting this treatment. Uh, will there be visits in between the chemotherapies? Is this given in, in the hospital or outside of the hospital? We generally give about anywhere between four to six cycles of chemotherapy, the duration of which is about two to three months of treatment, and then we stop and either transition to surgery, radiation, or a different treatment, or um, start active surveillance. Immunotherapy and targeted therapy, these, uh, both of these um, treatments are generally a little bit open-ended. Um, they can be given for years or really lifelong. We generally give this until um, Either there's progression of disease or if toxicities are too high, then we have to switch to something else. So those are a little bit more open-ended, and I think that sometimes catches uh, people by surprise. Like, they're in it for about six months thinking that we're going to stop soon, and generally it's like, no, things are working. We're going to keep going. You're tolerating, and it's controlling the cancer. Um, number three, you'd always want to know common side effects of the treatment that you're receiving um, <clears throat> and what you should be looking for. Um, I always say patients and caregivers should write down like the top five side effects of what whatever treatment you're getting. Um, and always when reporting um, a side effect, you want to ask yourself two questions, how long and how much. Um, these two questions will help us gauge the severity of the side effect that you're reporting. Um, and helps us understand whether, hey, we can monitor this, let's see how this evolves, or no, we really should treat um, this with some sort of medication or uh, further work it up um, if we need to hold the current cancer treatment or dose reduce um, or do something else, act now versus act later. So how long and how much have you been having this specific side effect? Adherence to treatment is super important. Identifying side effects early, um, being able to utilize prophylactic medications like to prevent nausea, to control diarrhea, um, will assist in staying the course. Um, you know, these treatments can be difficult, but if we're able to really manage um, side effects, it, it, it goes a long way. Uh, many patients are able to, to continue um, leading pretty, you know, normalized what they were doing before.
Um, dose reductions are often necessary or even a complete change in systemic therapy uh, due to toxicities, which is okay. Um, your loved one is not the first person that has required a change in treatment because of tolerance or needing dose reduction. Um, we're always thinking and gauging risk versus benefit of what we're giving you. Um, so dose reductions and changing treatment is par for the course. Number four, we would always say really know uh, your loved one's medication list and have them understand that it's really important to know what you're taking on a, on a daily basis. Does this include diabetic medication, blood pressure medicine, gout medicine, all these medicines, we, we really should know what we're taking on a day-to-day -day basis. A lot of these medications, especially with chemotherapy, may require dose adjustments while you're having the, the treatment, specifically uh, diabetic medications, hypertension medications, um, usually need adjustments. And then always asking, uh, are there any medications, including over-the-counter medications, that should be avoided while on treatment? A lot of the bladder cancer treatments can affect kidney function, um, and many over-the-counter medications can do the same. So we want to know uh, everything that we're putting in the body while we're on um, any form of systemic therapy. And lastly, um, following up and surveillance schedule, these are very important. Uh, for those that have localized disease, meaning that you've received your localized treatment or systemic treatment followed by surgery or radiation, and now you're told that you're cancer-free, surveillance is crucial. Um, surveillance, um, can include, surveillance visits can include um, urine studies, lab work, scans, um, cystoscopies. Um, this is all uh, trying to identify any recurrence um, as early as we possibly can. Identifying any re cancer recurrence early will help improve outcomes down the line. For those that have uh, metastatic disease, there are many, many visits, especially while you're on treatment, um, but it is important to follow up with us, with lab work. Um, we are always assessing the tolerability of, of the treatment and trying to avoid issues um, like kidney failure or severe toxicities. We often can catch these early on and um, regroup accordingly. We will generally uh, restage you or, or do a set of scans, either PET scans or, or, or CT scans, to assess the cancer response to the treatment we're giving you. We generally do this about every 12 weeks or so, um, so we need to assess if there's any dose reductions or treatment changes needed. Uh, cancer is, in this setting, is a chronic disease that requires constant monitoring and management. Um, and adjusting to this new normal is really a group effect with the caregivers involved, family, friends, and the patient. I cannot express enough the appreciation we all have for caregivers. This is just as much of a transition for you as your loved one. Um, and thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Aldrizola. That was a wonderful, just a wonderful presentation and very comprehensive. And um, you really set the stage for the TASE program. So thank you so much. Thanks. I know the big questions for you during the Q&A. And our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. And Dr. Palos is a doctor of public health, a master's degree in social work, and an, 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 an RN. So she's her own healthcare team. Um, she's former clinical um, protocol administra administration manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Um, author and researcher in healthcare disparities, survivorship, and caregiving. And Dr. Palos will be addressing stresses, challenges, and rewards of caregiving, 
managing family, friends, partners, and traditions in the context of COVID-19, coping with holidays, birthdays, anniversaries, and special occasions, remembering to take care of yourself, self-care, and stress management recommendations. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Hi, Dr. Messner. Thank you for your kind introduction. Um, it's a pleasure to join my esteemed colleagues on this critical discussion related to the challenges associated with cancer of the bladder. I'm sure many of you on today's call are familiar with those challenges. You've faced them and you've overcome some of them. And I'm sure many of you on this call are here to learn about some of those challenges and then to gain knowledge on how to deal with them. Today we have an entire panel focusing on a topic that is significantly important but often overlooked by providers, patients, and even the families themselves. Discussion about mental health and stress is at times uncomfortable for many caregivers. Dr. Adriazola gave us some strong evidence and a good foundation of all the medical and physical challenges behind um, those that are diagnosed and dealing with bladder cancer and the treatment and side effects. But she also said something that was very important toward the end. She said something about the caregivers. And yes, we know now that caregivers do experience various types of stress. So Dr. Adriazola also gave us an update on bladder cancer in today's pandemic world. So on top of just the normal stress that folks have, and then in addition to that, the stress that's related to the condition of chronic diseases such as cancer, maybe even arthritis, hypertension, uh, we know then that there's also then the stress of of how a whole healthcare team and caregiver and family and patients all end up kind of talking all on in the same language. And that is something we're going to try to talk about today, but then also talk about what happens when there's a breakdown in that communication and how that also um, then can contribute to, to stress. So in the next few moments, what I'd like to do is just uh, talk a bit about some of the stresses that are there, some of the rewards that can be there, and some questions that you may have. For example, I suspect that a few of you may be wondering, can we as a family now that we have, you know, that we're dealing with this disease, can we have good celebrations when we're going to maybe have to deal with hospital visits, treatment, side effects, and other realities associated with cancer? My response to that is yes. As families, you can celebrate very special occasions during the, these stressful times. And then rather than to uh, mourn or grieve the loss of, of traditions you may have had, um, now is the time to be creative, flexible, and open to adapting new traditions or discovering new, uh, new ways to celebrate your uh, special events. There is no doubt that being a caregiver is both challenging and rewarding. Oftentimes, there may be feelings of frustration or guilt, I'm not doing enough, or perhaps there's uncertainty about financial issues or about the care you're providing to your loved one. Are you doing enough? Are you not doing it right? Are you, am I doing it too slow? Am I doing it too fast? All of these kinds of things, all again, which contribute to stress for the caregiver and the family members. In addition to these fluctuations in emotions, there are also changes in the roles and responsibilities of the caregiver over the course of the cancer experience. It's not surprising that these changes will have an impact on the emotional and physical health of the caregiver. Later in this discussion, I'll present some tips on self-care and stress management. So now you listeners may realize that, oh yes, it's challenging, 
but it's important for us as caregivers to manage those stressful times. And if you aren't thinking like that, I'm going to ask you to maybe put that mindset in your mind that as a caregiver, yes, you're going to have these stresses, but you can manage them. There's there's different ways to manage them, and that's hopefully what you'll be able to walk away with uh, at the end of this call. So in the next few moments, I'll identify strategies for being proactive and planning ahead for uh, different occasions that you may have that are special. I'll also share some practical tips for managing your family, friends, and partners during these special um, events or special times of stress. First, I'd like to remind our listeners, in the context of today's call, we're referring to a caregiver who is an unpaid person who provides physical, practical, emotional care and support to cancer patients in the home or even in, in um, you know, you may be even at the health in the hospital and you're still there as a caregiver. We often hear the term caregiver when speaking about health care providers or paid caregivers. That is a group of its own and requires a whole other teleconference. So we're not talking about your health care provider unless they're a family member or your primary caregiver. We're talking about the normal folks that you're around on a routine basis every day um, that you've been around for most of your life. So again, so to make sure there's no misunderstanding, a caregiver is referred to in this context as an informal caregiver. So before I go any further, I'd like for you to take a moment uh, with me, and we're going to do a bit of an individual reflection. Take a moment to answer these questions. How many of you, if you are a caregiver, how many of you were invited or asked to become a caregiver? How many of you felt like you had no choice? For example, one caregiver I spoke to was the daughter caring for her father. She told me, now if I don't come, who is going to do what I do? How many of you simply accepted that you would be the caregiver? It's okay. It doesn't bother me. And how many of you are quite successful in balancing all the roles, responsibilities, and functions of being a caregiver? And lastly, if I asked how many of you would be how many of you would be able to share at least three positive aspects or rewards of being a caregiver. Being a caregiver to a loved one diagnosed with cancer is a challenging, complex, and multidimensional experience. In the past, research focused more on, on caregiver research, that is, focuses more on the negative aspects of caregiving. More recently, though, we have seen studies that focus more on the rewards or the positive aspects. So I'm going to go through those in just a moment. But first, let's just briefly talk about the stresses associated with caregiving. So caregivers of patients diagnosed with cancer have been found to have higher rates of anxiety, sadness, or even sleep disturbances, not being able to sleep. There is some evidence that there are three challenges associated with cancer caregiving for both men and women, such as neglect of self, we don't pay enough attention to our own bodies and our own health if you're a caregiver, changes in the relationship with the person living with cancer, and the consequences on the caregiver's physical and psychological health, again, such as fatigue, sleep problems, and others. A stressor can come from things that were so simple once before, such as, as a woman who shared with me that said now she's the driver, and she hadn't been the driver for a long time, and she was having to learn how to drive all over town again and all in a lot of traffic, and that was very stressful for her. 
or the man who had to learn responsibilities. Now he was um, the husband, and so now he was doing cooking and cleaning and washing and was really appreciating the role that his wife had uh, before when he just thought that, you know, that was easy things for her to do. He realized how timely that could be. These types of functions are often outside the usual roles, and learning the new roles can be a source of distress for the caregiver. So now those are a few. I just want to briefly touch on those. But there's a handful of rewards that I think um, would be important to share. And if you're experiencing any other types of stresses or rewards that um, are not really mentioned, please uh, take a moment to share them during our Q&A time. Studies conducted with caregivers of patients, and in particular some that I found with prostate or breast cancer, have found four types of benefits. One is finding an acceptable attitude of life. You know, oh, well, I used to think life couldn't be this way. Now I know it is, and I'm, I'm just dealing with it. Second, there's positive changes in self-view. I found out that I'm a bit stronger than I thought I was. Or I can cook really well, and I didn't think I could. Or I know now what kind of gas the car needs, and I don't have to be thinking about it. I'd automatically go to the right pump. Or there can be changes in interpersonal relationships. I feel closer to my son. I feel closer to my daughter, to my child, to, you know, someone that maybe you didn't have realized the deepness of that relationship. And then having a deeper sense of purpose in life. So finding benefit when one faces stressful events is important because it can help individuals to integrate negative experiences into their world in a meaningful way. It can help us or people to enhance their coping skills. So now let's talk a little bit about how does a caregiver keep up with special events and wonderful traditions that their families always associated with normal living? Caregivers and families often find themselves struggling to keep up with these activities when a loved one is diagnosed with cancer. So let's address how you may be able to cope with birthdays, holidays, and special events, especially since so many of those events are right around the corner. We have um, the harvest days or Halloween days that some people like to celebrate them. We have Thanksgiving coming up. We have all of our religious holidays coming up in, uh, toward the end of the year. So there's a lot of things coming up as well as like graduations and birthdays. First, you and your family can create new traditions. Even if you cannot maybe sometimes be there in person, some of these activities can become new activities. And if you look towards social media as, and incorporating some of those methods into trying to um, record or tape those uh, traditions and then share them with family members. Also, if your role was to be the family event planner or the king or king chef, this is a good time to share that role or hand over the torch to another member of the family. Remember, it can be especially stressful uh, trying to be the event planner, the cook, the caregiver, the navigator, and all of the other roles. Second, you and your family can prepare your own video clips or scrapbooks of past holidays. You can uh, put an album together of snapshots of memories from the past and share them with your loved ones. So even if you don't celebrate before that the way you used to, you are still celebrating those special moments. Third, if you cannot travel to family celebrations, you can set up a web camera so you can actually see your loved one. There's Skype, there's Zoom that we all have become very familiar with now. Communications such as these uh, ways give you an opportunity to present and to, to be present and to be a part of the celebration. During holiday celebrations, 
medical emergencies, and even natural disasters, I'd like to share with you to be prepared for unexpected situations. Know where your closest emergency room center is. Find out what type of services are provided by the closest emergency room. For example, if your loved one who is under cancer treatment uh, got ill, what what could what could that ER uh, service provide or not provide for that uh, loved one of yours? Ask about insurance coverage and about other specific. Uh, services, and be sure and ask about the types of documents that may uh, be needed. So one of the ways that um, I'd like to share with you about how to manage the chaos associated with special times, one helpful strategy is to develop a special occasion preparedness plan. And this plan is similar to a hurricane preparedness plan. And those of us living in the southeast, so like in Houston, where we have lots of different types of hurricanes, uh, we, we tend to have a little bit of both, the hurricane and the special occasion plan. It actually maps out the details of how to prepare for those special events. The plan would allow the caregiver and the family to make some trade-offs in their roles when trying to care for a loved one during special times, and especially if they may be far away from their caregiver. And Dr. Messner is going to address that in just a moment. So here's a few tips that you can be included in your plan and will help you to be proactive and prepared. Identify the roles and responsibilities that you feel each family member may be able to handle or has already expressed a desire to be a, uh, to do. So ask folks if they would like to be a part of that team. You'd be surprised if you ask how many people are willing to say, sure, I'd like to be a member of, the, of that preparedness team. I can bring meals or I can provide driving or I can get uh, the groceries, things like that. Find out who does what and what they're uh, comfortable doing. Determine realistically what can be done. Create a stable and realistic role for you as a caregiver. Don't try to do it all. You are not the lone ranger. All of this takes a team effort. Just like we used to hear before, it takes a village. That's what this whole experience is all about. It's taking a, it takes a village. Be informed. Maintain close communication with the providers and the helpers. Schedule that regular time. Um, we heard some very... Uh, practical advice on how to get your questions prepared for not only the teleconference, but for uh, information about side effects and their management. Set up a safety net, that is, identify neighbors, friends, or other relatives that can help you monitor uh, your loved one's condition. You know, they can come over and visit maybe when you're at work or you're having to go out of town. That's always good to have another set of ears and eyes. And then one thing is always be ready to go. Have those ready-to-go bags packed. Have medical supplies there, extra clothing, copy of important documents, such as copies of prescriptions, contact number of your health care providers, and members of your family team. So I know it's also very chaotic to try to uh, pack for a vacation or travel. So it's good if you can have all these things prepared ahead of time so that way you don't forget about your own needs. So um, I guess in closing, what I'd like to say, one of the things that I have found that caregivers tend to do, and we talked a little bit about it, is to engage in self-neglect. So I want to encourage you to try to get away from that. Take time for yourself. Don't feel guilty about walking away and going for a walk. Get some fresh air. You know, uh, make a phone call to a special friend. Get a book that you like, read a few pages if you want to, and you can even sit down in the evenings perhaps and maybe just have a, 
a cup of hot tea, uh, you know, a massage, just do things to also take care of yourself because if you are healthy and mentally, physically, spiritually happy, you're going to make a great caregiver for your loved one. So my final message is to just do the best you can, whether you're a patient, caregiver, or provider, be good to yourself. Keep tabs on your own physical and mental health. Schedule time to relax. Remind yourself that by taking care of your own health, you and the person you are caring for will reap the benefits of being a healthy caregiver. So perhaps now some of our visitors can share how they maintain their own treasured traditions, celebrations, and holidays, and how they deal with the stress during these times. So thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you, and this concludes my remarks. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really wonderful, just um, really extraordinary and um, incredibly helpful to our, our caregivers on the call. So, so thank you so much. Um, and um, our next speaker is Dr. Stephanie Chisholm. And Dr. Chisholm is Director of Education and Advocacy, Bladder Cancer Advocacy uh, Network, or BCAN. And uh, Dr. Chisholm will be addressing bladder cancer advocacy, BCAN's free programs, and will give you their toll-free number and website and how to contact them by email as well. So it's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Chisholm, and who is actually a partner organization on today's program. So I really take our hat off to Dr. Chisholm yes. and BCAN. Um, Thank you so much, Carolyn, and this has been wonderful presentations, and I really appreciate everybody kind of addressing the issues about bladder cancer and then talking a little bit about the caregiver, and I think it's also really important. I know it sounds kind of a, like a trite thing, but if you remember back before the pandemic when you were on a flight, the flight attendants would always tell you to put your own oxygen mask on first before you try to tend to the person sitting next to you. And I think under the circumstances of being a caregiver for somebody who has bladder cancer, because it is a lifelong thing that you'll be addressing with your, your loved one, that it is important to take care of yourself. And as was already identified by our other speakers, you know, so many people put themselves last. And it is important. And it's also important to understand sometimes when people offer to help, um, I know that I've heard this from some of our caregivers. There was a, a person who said, yeah, somebody said, just tell me what I can do and I'll be happy to help you. And what that individual forgets is asking the caregiver to come up with a list of things that you can do to help them is just giving them yet one more thing to do. So sometimes it's helpful to just go through your head and think, well, what could I use some help with? Maybe it's somebody to cut my lawn or maybe it's somebody to do the laundry. And Beacon has really got quite a few resources for caregivers. We've got a couple of podcasts that we've done. Our Bladder Cancer Matters podcast is available on our website, bcan.org. And you can listen to Beata's experience as a caregiver for her husband, Steve, and then also find out more about Karen, who was not only a oncology nurse, but she became a bladder cancer patient. And then she ended up being a caregiver to her husband, who actually passed away from bladder cancer. So those are some podcasts and resources that are on our website. And I encourage everyone to visit bcan.org 
and request a copy of our Tips for Caregivers. It's a free book, and we're happy to give it to you electronically or send it to you in a paper copy if that helps. It covers everything that you might need to know, and it was written by caregivers. And one of the things I think it's important, you know, we never really talk about it, but bladder cancer can be very serious. And one of the programs that we have coming up in January will be when cure is not an option and how do you have those difficult conversations about end-of-life care and what your options are in terms of palliative care and things to help with quality of life even though there's not an opportunity for cure. So there's a lot of really good resources available at bcan.org. So thank you for inviting me to speak, and I hope that you all check out all of those resources. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Chisholm, and, um, and lots of great resources that BCAN for people to take advantage of. So I really, um, really want to thank you for that. Um, so um, thanks so much. Um, uh, um, excellent. And, um, and now um, I'm just going to say a few words um, about uh, and Dr. Chisholm will be on for the Q&A as well, so she'll be available to answer questions that you might have as well. Um, and, and so um, before I address, um, I actually do want to address one of the topics in, this, uh, in my uh, area. I'm Carolyn Mester. I'm Senior Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. And I want to first address um, the concept of the long-distance caregiver. And, you know, um, in the past, I think, um, pre-pandemic, I think that we didn't realize how much we could involve long-distance caregivers, people who may live in different, either in different parts of the country um, or even in the same city but just so far away um, from the person needing help um, or um, who may live in other countries. And now because of telehealth, telemedicine, the long-distance caregiver um, and because of technology, the long-distance caregiver can be very involved in the in the day-to-day care of, um, of a person, um, you know, um, living with bladder cancer. They really can be, a, they can be a true caregiver, and they really play an enormous role, so they do not have to be thought of as being too far away to do anything. They're never too far away with technology to do something to help remind someone about when they should take their pills, to be present during a telehealth, telemedicine appointment, because one can join both as well. Um, and to actually um, just be so supportive to your loved ones. And now I just want to say a few words about Cancer Care Services, and then we're going to move right on to your questions. So I know some of you are sending your questions in, but please keep those questions coming, okay? Um, and so um, Cancer Care is a national organization, and we provide a host of services from practical, financial, and co-payment assistance. Um, we also offer um, case management services, online support groups, which many people find so very helpful, um, wellness circles. Um, we have a pet assistance program for people who have a cat or a dog and they're too ill to either change the litter box or to take the dog for a walk or um, actually just purchase food for their, um, their, their pet. And we also offer many of these workshops. We offered about 80 in the past year and a, and a number of publications that you can access from Cancer Care. So that gives you a thumbnail sketch of our services. And now we're going to move on to the Q&A. And, um, 
And so I'm going to ask Jennifer to um, uh, explain to all of you how to queue up for questions. I'm going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Um, Thank you. Yes, if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. A voice prompt on the phone line will indicate when your line is open. At that point, please state your first name and last initial before posing your question. If your question has already been answered, press star 2 to remove yourself from the queue. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. And um, a question um, for Dr. Adriozola. Um, with all these new treatments, how does one know which would be the best treatment? Uh, yeah, there, there are so many treatments available now. Um, there is a general um, timeline of when we do certain things. Um, generally start with chemo, then move on to immunotherapy, and then move on to the, those targeted agents I spoke about. More recently, um, especially under the guise of clinical trials, we're combining a, a lot of these agents, um, depending on the setting, localized versus a metastatic site. Um, you know, cancer, specifically bowel cancer, can be very heterogeneous. Uh, what is the best treatment for one patient is not the best treatment for another patient. Um, many of these factors include how well uh, kidney function you have, how the severity or the tumor burden that you have, and what our goal or intent of treatment is. So it's very hard to just quickly tell you chemo is always the best or immunotherapy is always the best, but it is more of a conversation um, of what is best for you at that moment in time. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, and a question for Dr. Palos. Um, um, my wife is having a hard time now that she is on chemotherapy. Um, and I guess this is normal, but what can I do to help her feel better? She is still um, beautiful both inside and out. Well, one of the things is what you just acknowledged, that she's still beautiful inside and out. I think that's a strong message to um, say to your wife. I mean, just simply saying it. Uh, sometimes can just really brighten someone's day. Uh, then there's actual things that you can do. And one is um, perhaps sit down with her and um, just talk about uh, past moments that were very special to you. We have children, bring in your children um, to maybe also share in some special moments like that. Um, I know that sometimes our patients don't have the energy um, spiritually, mentally, or physically to actually want to do things, you know, act, things, activities that take a lot of strength, a lot of time, a lot, just a lot of thinking even. So the more that you're able to make perhaps plan with your family members or friends to uh, try to uh, cause some distractions that for your loved one, um, that would help. The other is that if you really recognize, if you recognize that there are some strong changes, um, severe changes, um, that maybe you see um, your wife more blue than usual, um, you know, nothing really seems to cheer her up, then I would speak to your health care provider, your wife's health care providers, and let them know. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes our patients will have these side effects, such as sadness, not just because of the situation, 
but perhaps some of the medications can cause some of that that they're on. So it's always good just to kind of let your healthcare provider team know what's going on, and they can also then do something that's a little bit more formal and do an assessment to see if there's a need for um, some other type of action, that this is really being caused from organic reasons, not only the, the psychosocial that comes along with that. And I hope that helps you and your wife and your family going through this stressful time. Excellent. Thank you. That's excellent. And, um, and you know, please also just um, take advantages of the support services both Cancer Care and BCAN offer that would be available to you as well. Um, and um, and um, a question for Dr. Chisholm. Um, uh, um, where can I find clinical trials for my sister? Oh, that's a great question. Sometimes going to clinicaltrials.gov can be a little bit overwhelming because there's just so much information. Again, if you visit us at bcan.org, Right there on the top tabs, you'll see you can pull the first one down for education. You can find a clinical trial. You can search by your family member's diagnosis of non-muscle invasive all the way through to metastatic disease. And you could search by the state that you live in or she lives in, or maybe you've got a relative who's somewhere else where there might be a large trial going on that could be beneficial that she could stay with. So you can do all of those different things, and what you'll find are trials that are open and recruiting, so then you can learn what trials might be available, and then have her speak to her doctor, because that doctor may have a trial or may know of a trial that's going on in the area as well that might be relevant. Excellent. Thank you. That's wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you. And a question for Dr. Adrizal. Um, my dad's doctor suggested Keytruda because my dad was not responding to BCG. Would it be a good idea to get a second opinion? Um, I'm assuming he's, uh, your, your father has been um, having recurrent uh, non-invasive uh, bladder cancers um, that were not responding to BCG. In that case, the standard of care now is to try um, pembrolizumab or Keytruda um, and to see if that uh, you're able to, to prevent the recurrences from happening. So that is a definitely a way to go. Sometimes they do recommend a complete removal of the bladder, um, but more recently they, we started using Keytruda. So depending on, you know, your father's age, your father's, um, you know, wishes in terms of keeping a bladder or potential clinical trials available, um, you know, you might want to get a second opinion or use um, the, the BCANS. Dr. Chisholm um, was uh, discussing about potential clinical trials with non-invasive uh, muscle bladder cancers. Um, yeah, it, it's short answer. Keytruda is the, the right answer. It's a very it's a standard of care therapy. If there are clinical trials available, and if your father is is willing, if you're close enough, if he's is strong enough to try and get into a, a clinical trial for uh, the specific specific setting, I think that would be helpful at least to have an option available to you. Excellent. Thank you very much. And. Um... A question for Dr. Palos. Um, my father is keeping us out of his life after his cancer diagnosis. He won't stop working, going against his re the recommendations of his doctor. He won't talk to us about cancer and changes the topic when we bring it up. 
I have so much love and respect for him. How do I get him to open up without pushing? That's a, a very hard situation to be in. I think one of the things to remind yourself or to think about is um, how did your father deal with events that were stressful in the past? And if this has been his um, modus operandi or the way he usually coped, this was his coping skill, you know, uh, just um, having that detachment and just being reserved and uh, sounds like he's being very stoic in what he's trying to do. And if that was his way before, then give him some time and um, see if he'll eventually open up to you. Now, if this has not been his way or you think you've waited long enough, then again, um, you know, it's good to have what we in a, call like a family conference. And you could do that first perhaps with your family members to try to explore uh, ways that you can talk to your dad, not just not in a negative way, uh, but in a way that is loving and supportive. So I, well, so the one thing I would do is definitely have something with some kind of conference or meeting with all your family members. You don't have to do it on live if you want to do it through Zoom. So all of you, because if you're feeling this way and there's other family members, I'm sure they're seeing the same kind of, 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 of behavior. So it would be good for all of you to share your thoughts that way. Try to come up with some kind of plan. Don't make it, again, too aggressive or that's just going to get him even more. Um, alienated, but just um, try to put something together, and then one of you be selected as the spokesperson. And it sounds since you're the one asking the question, you may be the one to be the spokesperson, and just kind of open up the topic. The other thing I would also suggest is, you know, many of the resources that we've talked about on this call are available to the caregiver also, um, and I know that you can call and get um, some supportive advice and information, especially like from cancer care. They have very, very seasoned veterans, uh, social workers that uh, can speak to you and give you some ideas of how to approach this topic with your dad. And then there's also um, the BCAN group and many, many other groups that you can um, talk to and get some advice to try to put a plan together. This is a very challenging time for everyone. But again, remember, if this is how your, your dad uh, coped with things in the past, then this is his coping style. And well, like it or not, you know, sometimes we have to respect what our, our parents and our family members choose to do. And we just can be there when they decide that they need our help. So um, I wish you the best. I know it's a very challenging situation for you and your family. Excellent. Thank you. And I'm going to ask each of our speakers to just provide a takeaway from today's program. So I'm going to start with Dr. Adrizolo. Um, each of you just for a minute, just give a a takeaway point of what you'd like people to take away from today's program. So Dr. Audrey Zolo? Yes. Um, I would say the biggest takeaway is, you know, understanding that bladder cancer, there's no one quick uh, way of, of treating. There's many different treatments, and for each of those treatments and lies various um, side effects and things to look for. But at the very end, um, the caregiver, the family, the patient, and the provider all just need to come together and, and see what's best for that person um, moving forward. So just constant communication between everybody, I think, is the best, um, the best way to treat this. Um, to treat bladder cancer is not just the medicine you're giving, it's the, you know, the, the emotional support you're getting as well. 
Oh, thank you so much. Thanks. And uh, Dr. Powell? I would say that communication is going to be the key, key the, the most important thing that you can do during this cancer uh, journey that you have, uh, whether it's through the diagnosis, the treatment, the survivorship period, whether you're the patient, the caregiver, or the provider, that communication is what's, what really can help you deal through all the roller coaster pieces of what's going on across this journey. Um, and as a caregiver, again, I, I just want to remind you, take care of yourself. You, you know, I have just seen over and over again caregivers just putting their own health and physical needs aside, and it creates a symptom burden on themselves. And so just take care of yourself. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Chisholm? Well, I agree that take care of yourself is really important. You know, if people are relying on you for everything and you go down, nobody's going to be able to get any of their needs met. So it is really important. And, again, I encourage you to visit us, bcan.org, and download the tips for caregivers because it really does a nice job of addressing what some of the concerns are. And definitely don't be afraid to seek out some help and find out if there's somebody in your healthcare system that can help assist you. There are a lot of good programs that are out there, but you don't always have to do this alone. And I think that's something that a lot of people need to be reminded of. Oh, thank you so much. And um, I'll just add that I also just, there is a, there are a lot of resources out there for all of you and want you to take advantage of them. There's your healthcare team. And then, of course, there's um, both BCAN and Cancer Care that you can contact. And um, at the end of today's program, you'll all be receiving a Survey Monkey evaluation. And in that evaluation, um, uh, there is um, an evaluation. We appreciate you all filling it out. But in addition, we will give you additional resources, but particularly stressing BCAN and Cancer Care, and a few other organizations that you can contact as well. So as we wrap up today's program, I want to first of all thank both our speakers, all of our speakers actually, and our participants, um, participants for asking such great questions, our speakers for being such great speakers, and also for addressing many of your questions. Um, and um, I do want to acknowledge that we weren't able to address everyone's question. Um, there are more questions that we can be able to address. So I want to address that up front. For those of you who either asked a question or have a question yet to ask, I strongly recommend that you take your question or have a question that you're thinking of go back to your treating healthcare team. Remember, they know you the best. They actually have all of your records in front of them. They're able quite to um, address your questions. And so they will actually, um, they're very much able to, um, to help you. And remember, your healthcare team consists of many different disciplines. So there's your oncologist, um, your um, surgical oncologist, radiation oncologist, um, oncology nurse, um, oncology social worker, patient navigators, financial assistants, so there's a whole group of people who can help you with your concerns and questions. So just remember that. In addition to that, please take advantage of the services both of BCAN and Cancer Care. Those services are available to you, and um, they're a great resource to you as well. Um, and most importantly, as we conclude today's program, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone, which is a normal feeling to have, by the way, in coping as a caregiver with, with your loved one's cancer. I want you to now know that you're part of the community of support. We're here to help you. And there are a lot of resources that you can take advantage of. And many of those resources 
nonprofit organizations are free and they're available to you. And so that's a great resource for you as well, in addition to your healthcare team. So again, I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.